Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, good morning again. We're so thankful that you joined us for First Alliance Church at home this morning. And again, happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. We are going to be jumping back into our series called Into the Unknown as we journey through the first eight chapters of the book of Joshua. And this morning, we're getting into one of the best known stories in the entire book. Even people today who who didn't grow up in church and don't know much about the Bible have probably heard about the story of Jericho's walls coming tumbling down. And uh, there's even an old song that you might know uh, about this. It goes something like this. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Jericho, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Mahalia Jackson sings that one, and she just is awesome, a powerful voice. So this is a story we know. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down, so how did he do it? What was his secret? weapon. And that's what we're going to consider this morning. So I invite you, please have a Bible open. We believe that when we encounter God in his word, we're hearing from him. And so have a Bible open as we get into Joshua. Uh, And we're going to be reading from chapter 5, verse 13, to chapter 6, verse 21. And I invite you to follow along in your own Bible with me at home. Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one, sorry, no one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of him. And he ordered the people, Advance, march around the city with the armed guard, going ahead of the ark of the Lord. 
When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua commanded the people, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. The people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Living God, We thank you for this moment in history where we are entering your word and we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us. Help us in our weakness, in our inability to understand your words and in our even greater ability to apply your words and to live faithfully to you. Holy Spirit, come and empower us, transform us as we meet with you in this time. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to come back to that question. If Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, how did he do it? How did he make the walls come a-tumbling down? Now, much later in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, that it was by faith that the walls of Jericho fell down. And so even though the word faith isn't anywhere mentioned in this passage, what this New Testament writer does is interprets this passage as a story of faith. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning is, is what do we learn about faith here that's instructive for our own faith as we follow Jesus today. And what we're going to do is consider three habits of faith that we see here. I mean, there are more than three habits of faith, but there are three dominant ones in this text that I want to draw our attention to in those three habits of faith are submission, obedience, and restraint. 
Submission, obedience, and restraint. Now, let's take a look at submission first. Now, it is not lost on me that this word is basically outlawed in our modern age. It's almost a swear word. It's the new S word to say the word submission. And it's because it's so often quickly associated with oppression. But submission does not mean oppression. Submission means yielding to the will of another. And there are abuses of this where, where that yielding is compelled and forced on people. But we're not talking about being coerced or forced in submission when we're thinking about submission as a habit of faith, but rather thinking of it as yielding of our own free will to the will of another. Yielding of our own free will to the will of another. And if you want to cultivate faith in Jesus in your life, Submission isn't just recommended, it's actually essential. Now, look at the opening scene of our text today in chapter 5, verse 13. Joshua is probably doing some reconnaissance, right? They're about to go and take Jericho. He's kind of gone ahead of the army, and, and he ascends a ridge, and he can see Jericho, and he sees a guy standing there with a drawn sword. And he's not sure who he is. And so he asks a question that maybe we would ask. It makes a lot of sense. Are you for us or for our enemies? Whose side are you on, ours or theirs? As if there were only two options. And then the man says this, neither, but as commander of the Lord's army, I have Come. And he just blows the question out of the water. You think there's two options? Well, what if there's a third option? What if I'm not here for you or your enemies, but I'm here for God? And how common is it for us to approach God this way? To come to God and say, God, are you for me or are you for my enemies? Are you on my side or theirs? God, you got to choose a side or I am walking. And in our hearts, we can almost attempt to get God on our side, to submit to us and get with our program, when in actual fact, God's reply back to us is, whose side are you on? Are you on my side? Are we on God's side? Because when the commander says, neither, but as commander of the Lord's army, I am come. He's turning the question around on Joshua and on us to consider, are we on God's side? And this text reminds us of something so crucial about God that we often lose sight of, especially in a day and age when God seems to have been made so small and people are trying to get God on their side to vindicate their views, be they political or religious, that we need to know that God is not partisan, but that he is sovereign. God is not partisan, he is sovereign. And our response to this sovereign God needs to be as Joshua's response was, one of submission. He falls flat on his face. And in reverence, he asks, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Submission is an essential habit of faith. And this one is hard to swallow, I think, for us modern people because we've been conditioned to have such a small view of God 
You see, there's, there's two parts of God that we really need to hold in tension. Um, in theological terms, let me just say it and then I'll explain it. We have, on one hand, the imminence of God. That means his nearness and his closeness to us. And on the other side, God's transcendence. That is his bigness, his otherness, his divine transcendence, his greatness, his majesty. And actually, the Bible calls us to hold both of these intention, and it's actually the person of Jesus who does because he is God with us who took on our flesh to be with us, yet he remains the Lord of the universe. And if the idea of submitting to God, of submitting to the one who made you and loves you and wants you to enter into, the, into life, if that idea is uh, repulsive to you, it's because I think you've got too small a view of who God is that God has become more of a personal assistant to you rather than a sovereign Lord. And submission is a habit of faith we must learn and cultivate if we're going to follow Jesus as our Lord. And that's what we see here in Joshua. Now let's look at the second habit of faith, obedience. And now obedience is just all over the passage. Joshua obeys everything the Lord says. He's told to take off his sandals because the ground on which he's standing is holy. Boom, they're gone. He's on his face and he says, Lord, what message do you have? And then when the Lord gives him the message, it's not a normal battle plan. And some of you might be listening at home and think maybe there's some like historical context, like this was normal back then to, to engage in battle this way. Let me say it was not. It was just as strange then as it is today to go around marching around a city and blowing trumpets to, uh, to bring the city down. This was not normal. So Jericho was a fortified garrison city. It was a military outpost right at the gateway to the land. And, you know, it was like Fort Henry in Kingston. This was a strong place. Surrounding the entire wall was a ditch, 27 feet wide and 9 feet deep. So even just to get to the wall, you'd have to, like, fall down into a ditch, run through and get to a wall. And then the wall itself rose about 13 feet high from ground level and was six feet wide. And then it had towers on it, upwards of 28 feet high, and it was all cut into, and the stones were cut out of bedrock. And look at chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. This is the author signaling to us the sheer impossibility of the task and therefore the oddness of the strategy, the oddness of God's plan. And yet Joshua and Israel obey. They obey completely. I mean, not entirely completely, which we'll see next week with regards to some of the loot, the devoted things, but they obey the plan for battle and there are times in our lives when God's word to us to live a certain way or, or do uh, uh, life in a way that, that reflects his character and, um, and morality just seems completely ridiculous. And yet it's the way to life. 
Like self-denial, really, Jesus? <laughs> Sexual purity, conducting my business w- with ethics and, and not trying to cut corners or uh, oppress other people to get a bigger return on my investment, um, radical generosity, loving my enemies, like seriously? That doesn't make any sense. It's the way to life because his kingdom is upside down and the way to life is actually through death in Christ. Now, God's ways sometimes seem strange to us and and totally counterintuitive, but if you want to grow in your faith in Jesus, at a a certain point, you have to realize you're not going to understand all of God's ways. You're not going to understand fully why he's asked you to live a certain way, and you're going to need to walk by faith. You're going to need to trust and obey him nonetheless. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, to have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you wouldn't take his advice. There would not be any sense in saying you trusted a person if you wouldn't take his advice. And let me say, brothers and sisters, Jesus gives us more than advice. He gives us the word of life. And so if we trust Jesus, we'll obey his word. Now, the last habit of faith we see here is what I'm calling restraint. Now, this one might come as a surprise to you because usually when you think of faith, you you think of someone who does not have restraint, who has unbounded trust in God. So, So let me just explain. Here's Israel. They are dressed for battle and they've been given some of the strangest marching orders they've ever heard. And I want you to imagine yourself in their ranks as a soldier. So here's the plan. For six days, you walk around the city once per day day. Now let me tell you, ancient walled cities were not big. Historians estimate that the circumference of Jericho was 600 meters. That's like walking around Bridletown Mall once. And at a slow trot, if you walk slowly like me, it would take you maybe 15 minutes at most. And if you walk quickly like my wife, it'd take you 10. Now, get this. You're dressed, you're ready for battle, you know, you've psyched yourself up, we're gonna do this, and here's the job. Walk around the city for 12 minutes in the day and then pack it in for the night. Do that one day, do that the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Can you imagine? What I would be feeling as a soldier would be, this is ridiculous. What is this accomplishing? This is a total waste of our time. Let's get this over with. And Joshua urges restraint in verse 10. He says, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. You see, obedience and submission to God includes restraint if we're going to walk in faith in Him. Why? Because there is this drive in us uh, to do more than the Lord has asked us to do or to make what God has said happen in our own way. And we don't yield the time and space that, that God in His sovereignty is delighted to take in bringing about his purposes. We get impatient with his methods and how he seems to delay. 
In Psalm 37, verse 7, it says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Woe. Do not fret because other people are doing this, other churches are doing this, other companies are doing this, and it's working so well for them and they're getting success. Do not fret. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. You see, restraint is a habit of faith that resists our drivenness to rush God's plan and to make things happen. Because let's be honest, I mean, I've heard people in the church sometimes have this attitude towards things like prayer or waiting on God or worship or discernment or or lament or actually taking the time to listen to people and listen to God because we think, ah, it's not getting anything done done. Let me be clear. When God speaks, we need to move decisively and firmly into his purposes, but we also need the habit of restraint to make sure we're not adding anything to them. So personally, for you, in your life, This is so important for us in the age of the internet, in the age of social media where you are getting so much stuff coming at you through this little glowing rectangle in your pocket. And let me tell you, restraint for you in your life doesn't mean laziness or inactivity. It means focus. It means focusing on doing what God has asked you to do in a world where you are bombarded from the outside with so many alternatives and distractions that make more sense, that make more common sense than God's way. And we need to learn the habit of restraint to keep our focus on what God has asked of us and how he's called us to live because we're so prone to drift. We're so prone to distraction or unbelief that we need to learn this discipline of quiet rest and waiting for God to accomplish his purposes. And so we began with the question, how did Joshua make the walls of Jericho come tumbling down? And we've been looking at his faith, but I hope it's been so clear that, that this is where I'm leading you. Joshua didn't make the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. God did. God did. And what Joshua did is he put his faith in the right place. He put his faith in God. And we see that so clearly in this text. I mean, just the fact that the only weapon mentioned in the passages is wielded by God's commander is is indicative to us. And there's also the symbolism of the covenant of the ark. I mean, you probably noticed as we were reading the text, the ark of the Lord's covenant mentioned over and over and over again, uh, leading God's people. And and the symbolism there is saying uh, the ark was the place of God's presence. It's saying God's presence leads us. God himself is doing this. And then there's God's own words in the text saying, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. And this is a chance for us to pause and consider this morning. Am I putting my trust in God? Am I putting my faith, or I like to call it my basic life trust in God? And one way to kind of diagnose that is to look at these three habits of faith 
and to see if any of them are lacking in your life. Is there a submission to God? Are you obeying God? Um, are you walking with a focus on him or are you getting pulled and distracted by all kinds of other flashy trends and hip things? But maybe the most telling sign of, of whether you are trusting in God is how you view the foolishness of God's methods. How you view the foolishness of God's methods of bringing about his purposes and saving the world. The way that Joshua trusts in God's method to bring down the walls of Jericho, it's the same way we are called to put our trust in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there is an impenetrable wall that has separated God and humanity since the fall. And it's one that we run up against over and over again in our own lives and, and that we see humanity running into over and over again in human history. We stand powerless before the wall of, of, of sin and, and the powers behind the sin. And we stand powerless before the wall of death. And even our best strategies, our best science, hasn't been able to bring that wall down. We haven't become better people in the humanistic endeavor to just improve ourselves. We haven't been able to prolong life. And it's only through the cross of Jesus Christ that this wall comes down. That's what the gospel says. The gospel says it's only through the cross of Christ. It's, it's only because God became a man and he died and in his death, he put death in the grave and in his resurrection, his victory is plainly seen. He's vindicated. And it's this foolishness of the cross, as Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 1, that is actually the power and wisdom of God. How are you viewing the cross? How are you viewing the strangeness of God's saving action in Jesus Christ? And this morning, I want to call you to put your faith in Jesus and the redeeming love of his cross. Maybe for the first time, or maybe if you call yourself a Christian in a renewed way, as this morning, in a sense, we kneel before God on holy ground and we commit or recommit ourselves to him. It's not within our power to do this for ourselves. It's not based on our own merit or, or on whether we've earned it or not. It's based on his grace. It's the gift he offers to us. And it might sound foolish to you, but it is indeed the wisdom and power of God. Whatever it is you're up against in your life, the way through it is to put your faith in God. It's to trust even against your reason and your common sense, even when you know and when the, the way of the cross sounds so foolish. I mean, the way to enter into life is to lose your life? What, Jesus, what is that? Trust him. Trust that in releasing your life to him, he's gonna give it back to you with such abundance and you're gonna discover what life is really about. So friends, that's my encouragement to you. May we go from here to trust in the foolishness of the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ, 
May it be so with you and me and with us. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.